Okay, morning everybody. Thank you guys for showing up this morning. And uh, just want to welcome you here. We'll start off with doing some singing. Chris and Bonnie had some family issues they had to deal with, how to make a trip, so uh, they're not here this morning, so you're stuck with me. So, once again, it'll be a country and western Sunday. Number 10 in your hymn books, and I think Cam has the words on there if you don't want to look at hymn books. <laughs> Oops, oh, my poor guitar. But how can you sing the harmony parts if you don't have the hymn books and don't have the notes? <laughs> so let's stand and sing uh, one, two, and four of O Worship the King. Number 10, O Worship the King. One, two, and four. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonderful love. His shield and defender, the Ancient of Days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of thy might, oh, sing of his grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space, his chariots of wrath, a deep thunder clouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our Maker, Defender, Redeemer, and Friend. And then we'll sing that chorus, Glorify Thy Name. That's uh, number 29 if you're looking in the hymn books. Spirit. 
morning. It's good to have everybody here and we think about those that can't make it but uh, that's uh, all in the Lord's hands. Let's uh, open uh, service with prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father we thank you this morning that we can be here. We just pray that as we uh, worship you and turn our hearts towards you that we will have them open and ready to receive what you have to say to us through music and through the spoken word, what you've given Pastor Glenn, and thank you for this time that we can we can be here and ask your blessing upon it. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, read uh, the scripture this morning in our bulletins. Uh, let's read it together. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Psalms 73, 28. Um, Gloria is going to have scripture for us. Scripture reading today is Psalm 8. Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Thanks, Gloria. Let's, uh, let's just uh, pray again as we always do before the sermon and and just uh, focus our attention on God and focus our thoughts on 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 Him and focus or just ask God and open our hearts to what God has to say. So Lord God, we, we, we just ask that as we look into this passage that you would 
you would take it and you would speak to us. And Lord, I just pray that all of us, as we are bowed in your presence and bowed before you in prayer, would would um, would just make that conscious decision to just open our hearts, open our minds to what it is you're saying here and what this psalm is saying to us and what it means for us in our personal lives as we live it. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, you would feed us, you would teach us, you would challenge us, and uh, may we go away from here closer to you and and uh, strong in our faith because of what you told us here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you're in a philosophical mood this morning, but we're going to wax philosophical for a minute or two. To start off the sermon, here's a philosophical question that I would like you to ponder. What is man? That's the question. What is man? Philosophers have struggled with that question since shortly after the fall. <laughs> Looking at the strictly physical aspect of mankind, of the human body, uh, we all agree that humans, physically speaking, are very complex beings. And uh, been really struck home to me past month or two and some of the things our family's going through and we were talking about last Sunday as well the human body is incredibly complex and the greatest medical minds still don't understand very much at all about the human body it's much more complex and much more beyond our understanding and uh, I know we like to when something's wrong and the doctors can't figure out what it is, we get frustrated. What kind of doctor is this? They can't even, you know. But the human body is incredibly complex, and there's stuff that the best doctors don't understand and can't understand because it's so complex. But anyway, if you're an average adult, here's some uh, trivia that is not that profound, but <laughs> just interesting. If you're an average adult of average weight, here's what you accomplish in 24 hours. Uh, your heart beats 103,689 times. Uh, your blood travels 168 million miles. That's what it said. I couldn't believe it either when I read that. 168 million? Really? <laughs> That's what it said. You breathe 23,040 times. You inhale 438 cubic feet of air. You eat three and a quarter pounds of food a day. This is the average adult I'm talking. Some are much above average. <laughs> you drink 2.9 quarts of liquids. You lose 7 eighths of a pound of waste. You speak 4,800 words. Again, some are way above average. Right? <laughs> you move 750 muscles. Your nails grow 0.000046 of an inch. <laughs> Your hair grows 0.01714 of an inch. <laughs> you exercise 7 million brain cells. <laughs> and some are very much under average. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> the things that mankind has accomplished are incredible. Look at the inventions that have happened over the years. Uh, even say the last hundred years. It's very really interesting to talk to people that are near 100 years old and get them to tell stories of what they remember, their earliest memory of what the world was like versus what we have today. In these hundred years, 
the advances, the inventions that have been made and the advances is incredible. Things have changed so much and technology moves forward so rapidly and in many ways making life much easier and some ways more frustrating, but in many ways easier. And, and yet, on the other hand, the atrocities that mankind has committed and the ruin that mankind has made on, on parts of this world are, are horrible to think about. So putting the two together, what is man? Stuart Briscoe, the well-known author from some years back, well, decades back, Corey told me last week that it's decades that I have to talk about here, not years. <laughs> From the late 70s, <laughs> Stuart Briscoe, uh, he was a well-known author back then and preacher. And he, called, he wrote a book called What Works When Life Doesn't. It's a little book on the book of Psalms. It's just a great little book. And uh, he does a great job on Psalm 8. That's where we're looking this morning. Uh, I'm going to use bits of that chapter from that book through this sermon. Uh, but at any rate, he gives an account of a personal experience that he had to illustrate this point of the two sides of humanity. Two sides of the human race. So this is what he wrote. Now, I'll just read it. He said, one memorable day I had lunch in England and I preached twice in California. Uh, <laughs> quite a day. I was assisted greatly by Pan American Airlines, whose flight from London to Los Angeles went nonstop over the North Pole. And this is what he observed as he made that flight. He said, the ice cap is a vast area of white wilderness, unspoiled and unknown, inhabited by polar bears and seals. As far as the eye can see, it glistens in severe natural darkness, or starkness. As the plane heads south, the ice gives way to tundra. Still wilderness, but not quite so formidable. After the bleak landscape of the ice and snow, Devoid of human habitation, it comes as a shock as you see suddenly a straight and narrow road heading through the tundra to a tiny outpost. The tundra imperceptibly gives way to prairie, the flat breadbasket of the continent. Here the signs of human, human intervention are seen in the affairs of nature on every hand. The acres of cultivation are marked by different colors according to the stage of growth and the harvesting of the crops. Then as the flight continued toward Los Angeles, the prairies gave way to mountains which give shelter to fertile valleys full of neatly ordered vineyards and orchard groves and orange groves. Lean, tall, straight buildings and concrete freeways come into view as the plain descends into Los Angeles. He said, that journey made me proud to be human because it graphically displayed the impact of man on his environment. And indeed, there is reason to be proud of what we as a human race have accomplished. I'll change gears here a bit. So, in the next question, have you ever felt worthless? And we're honest, I think probably 100% of us would say yes. We have <laughs> felt that at times. Why? If we're so great, why do we sometimes feel worthless? And so Briscoe goes on, he said, he said, but the minute the plane door opened, a different feeling flooded me as smog invaded the cabin. My eyes, throat, lungs, and nose began to react violently to the acrid fumes of the smog in Los Angeles. 
Wiping my eyes, I encountered a customs official who would be nobody's choice for Mr. Conviviality. After some delay, I escaped his tender mercies and was whisked into a car which was to take me to my first appointment. <coughs> Excuse me. Within minutes, we were involved in a pileup on the Los Angeles freeway. Uh, about a dozen cars were sent careening in every direction to the accompaniment of screaming tires and screaming people and fists waved, epithets flew, sirens blared, lights flashed, and I added tattered nerves and a throbbing headache to my smarting eyes and runny nose. And then Briscoe said, these aspects of man's impact on his environment left me more ashamed than proud. And he concludes, isn't that the essence of the mystery of mankind? On the one hand, humanity is so unbelievably resourceful and skilled. On the other, so crude and objectionable. He can tame the wilds, but, he, but not his temper. He drills for the oil he needs from beneath the frozen waste, but then fills the air he breathes with the fumes from the oil he burns. <laughs> no wonder the philosophers of the ages have been asking, what is man? So that was Briscoe's account of, <laughs> of that uh, experience of his. Now, fortunately, we who know that the Bible is reliable, we have an ad advantage over those philosophers who don't accept the Bible. Because the Bible answers that question. Psalm 8 gives us some of those answers. As I mentioned last week, we'll be looking at the Psalms for the rest of the summer, focusing on our personal walk with God. In this Psalm, King David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us some answers about mankind. And understanding these answers are vital to having a good personal relationship with God. The answers David gives here in Psalm 8 are, are great answers that are an encouragement to all. I asked the question before, do you ever feel worthless? And I'm sure that, as I said, all of us do at times. Psychologists call that a low self-esteem. We have a low self-esteem. And that can be a problem. I'm not, not trying to mitigate it. It can be a problem. And it can be a problem to having a good personal relationship with God. And to have that, we need a good understanding of God, which we looked at last week in Psalm 139. And we're going to touch on it again today. And you also need a good understanding of humans. A correct understanding of mankind is foundational to having a healthy self-esteem, which, like I said, many suffer from low self-esteem, those feelings of worthlessness. And the answer begins to correct an understanding of who and what man is. That's where the answer begins with that understanding. And that's what this psalm is all about. And having that set straight in our minds helped us greatly in our own personal relationship with God. So let's look into it. We need to understand the inherent value there is to mankind and to us individually. And we can understand this by grasping the reasons mankind and you and I individually have incredible inherent value, as we see here in Psalm 8. So there's four things I want to look at here this morning. Number one, you are of value because of who God is. You are of value because of who God is. So I'm looking at the first three verses here of Psalm 8. Let's read them again. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. 
because of your adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained. And the first line of verse 4, what is man? So in the discussion about man, David doesn't start with man. He starts with talking about God. And that's significant. Because the answer to the question, what is man, is tied up with who God is. You can't have a good understanding of man until you come to at least a bit of an understanding about God. And so that's why David begins by talking about God. We looked at this last week when we were in Psalm 139. And David here talks about this again. So let's see what he says here about God. First he says, O Lord, my Lord. And that's not a repetition. In the original Hebrew, those are two different words that are being used. The first Lord is that Hebrew word Yahweh. It's God's personal name. It means self-sufficient and self-existing. God is completely self-existing and self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from outside of himself to exist. That name was so sacred to the Jews uh, that they didn't even say it out loud. <laughs> so they substituted the word Lord. But notice that it's in capital letters. Most translations put it in capital letters when it's actually, the actual Hebrew in the original was Yahweh, but they would substitute the word Lord because they didn't want to say it but they put it in capital letters uh, so most translations will do that the second Lord there is Adon or Adon I'm not sure how to pronounce it but it means master it's like a title the first Lord is the name the second is the title so it's kind of like me saying oh Gloria my wife uh, or, oh, Ethan, my friend, or, you know, that kind of thing. So right here we are told something about God. He is self-existing and self-sufficient, and he's our master. This is in contrast to man, isn't it? We are not self-existing. We do need things from outside of ourselves to exist. We're not self-sufficient. We need other things to, to exist from outside of ourselves, but not God. Going on. How majestic is your name. The name of God is majestic in all the earth. His glory fills the heavens. His glory is so much greater than this world, greater even than the universe. Verse 2 is an interesting verse. God is so great, yet from the mouth of babes he establishes strength. Strength to overcome his enemies. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'll just confess that straight out. I'm... I'm not exactly sure what that means. I couldn't get any answer that satisfied me from any of my reading. But maybe it means just means that from the youngest infant to the star universe all reveal God's strength and power, which will in the end defeat God's enemies. Maybe what David is saying is that strength comes in and from a childlike faith. Just simply accepting God for who he is and what he is, even though we don't fully understand, just like a baby would, just like a child would. That, and that faith is where strength that overcomes enemies comes from. That could be the meaning. 
I'll leave that for you to chew on. <laughs> but anyway, in verse 3, David talks about the heavens, the work of God's hands. And it was his consideration of the heavens that made him wonder about man. As we're going to see. David describes the heavens as the work of God's fingers. The moon and the stars as things which God has ordained. And from his consideration of the moon and the stars and the heavens and the vastness and the, and just the glory of that. He was moved to the question, what is man? And when you stop and consider the heavens, you have to stand in awe and wonder of God. I'm going to give you some more figures here. They're not recent ones. Astronomers are constantly discovering new things, so they're not totally up to date. But the figures I have, the Milky Way galaxy, our disc-shaped galaxy that we belong to, that our sun belongs to, is a family of more than 100 billion stars. And scientists say there may be as many as 100 billion other galaxies in the universe. But they're discovered more all the time. The more powerful telescopes they invent, the more they see. And they believe that billions of these galaxies, billion stars, may have hundreds of millions of planets, like our Earth. That's what they believe. <laughs> God's creation from a one-sentence command. One-sentence command. William Beebe was a man who had an extensive knowledge of nature and he had much in common with his friend Theodore Roosevelt who also loved nature and loved exploring and after a visit at Sagmar Hill, Beebe recalled he and the president would go out and see who could be the first to locate the Andromeda galaxy in the constellation Pegasus. And then gazing at that tiny little smudge of, of distant starlight one of them would say, that's the spiral galaxy Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It, has se it is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 million suns, each one larger than our sun. And after that thought had sunk in, Roosevelt used to flash his famous toothy grin and say, now I think we're small enough. And the two men would retire for the night, put in their places by the limitless universe. So friends, any discussion about man must be asked in the context of the greatness of God and the greatness of his creation. If you ask the question in that context, there's an answer. If you ask it any other way, there's no answer. We must first understand that God is infinitely great and powerful and mighty and that his creation is beyond human comprehension. Then we're ready to ask the question, what is man? So you're a value because of who God is. Secondly, you are a value because of what God made you to be. You are a value because of what God made you to be. We're just finished looking somewhat at the magnitude of God's creation and David, he was doing the same thing when he wrote the psalm. He was looking up in the sky and wondering the same thing, verse 4 and 5. What is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you made him a little lower than God. You crown him with glory and majesty. Huh. The universe is so great. What is man? 
And yet you made him just a little lower than God. Huh. You know, atheists and skeptics use this very thing to argue against God. The universe is so vast, there are so many galaxies and stars and planets, one of them much bigger, many of them much bigger than our sun and our planet. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is just a very small cluster of stars, just one insignificant galaxy among millions of galaxies in this huge universe. And planet Earth is just one tiny speck of dust in this very insignificant galaxy. And you think God, if there is one, would care about this planet and whatever's on it? One little tiny speck in this universe that is so vast and so much greater than that little speck of dust that we call Earth? You think God, if there is one, would care? That's their thinking. But we see David here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, come to the opposite conclusion. When he considered the greatness of the universe and the magnitude of God's creation, and David asked, what is man that you take thought of him? And then he went on to write the rest of verse 5. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, yet you've made him a little lower than God. So we see here that in this great magnitude of the universe, of God's creation, that man is actually God's highest creation. Look what David says about man. Created by God, he's thought of by God, he's cared for by God, he's just a little lower than God in the order of things, he's crowned with glory and majesty. Of all that we can see and ever will see in the future of this universe, man is God's highest creation. We're not the product of chance. I believe that's one of the worst products, or worst outcomes of the theory of evolution. For years our best brains have contended that man is the chance product of circumstances in a universe that is itself a freak result of unknown occurrences. And if that is true, that is very dehumanizing to mankind. It's humiliating to be convinced that man is an accident and of little importance. You see, the theories that lead man to believe he just happened by chance also logically lead to man and lead us to believe that we're meaningless and worthless. If we're just a random product of chance, that logically means we're meaningless and we're worthless. If all we are, if that's true, all we are is a puzzle living in the middle of a muddle, to use Stuart Briscoe's words. <laughs> when people believe they are meaningless and of no value, then it's pretty much impossible to have a relationship with God. And society falls to the level that we're seeing today. Nowhere is man given more dignity than in the teachings of the Bible. Again, quoting Briscoe, despite all the harsh attacks that have been made on the Bible and the biblical view of man, it must be stated quite firmly that nowhere else is such a high view of man taught than in the Bible. 
Let's back up just a little bit. Look at verse 5 again, the first phrase. You've made him a little lower than God. Some of you have translations that say you've made him a little lower than the angels. Uh, I read one translation that says a little lower than the heavenly beings. Um, why, why the difference? The Hebrew word there is Elohim, which is translated in the King James Version at least as God in every instance, except in here, King James translated as angels. Uh, it's not the word Yahweh, which is the name, personal name of the one supreme God. Uh, the word Elohim means God, but it's an impersonal, generic, plural word, meaning literally gods. Uh, but as I said, many times the writers in the scriptures did use this word Elohim when they were talking about the almighty supreme God. So that's why there's a variation in the different translations. I guess they were struggling a bit with how to translate it into English as well. Uh, commentator Vanderpie explained it like this. He said, we are made godlike. God intends us to reflect his character and his goodness. And of course he's talking about us being created in the image of God. And, and that makes a lot of sense. So friends, stop and think about this for a while. Creation is such a vast, incomprehensible thing. How can you in your mind imagine or picture something 750,000 light years away? So far that it takes a beam of light 750,000 years to get there. And there are objects in our universe that are much further away than that, according to the figures scientists give us. And yet, in it all, you and I are the greatest of all God's creation. We are stamped with the image of God. God takes special care and thought of us as humans. If and when you are struggling with feelings of worthlessness, stop and remind yourself about this. Go out at night and look up into the heavens. Lay on your back and just look up at the stars. Look at the earth and the intricacies of creation. And know in your heart that you are not looking at anything that is greater in God's eyes than you are. You are higher, you are more valuable, a more valuable creation of God than anything you're looking at. God takes special thought of you above anything else in creation. You, as a human being, are crowned with glory and majesty in comparison to the rest of creation. As the latest pictures come in from the telescopes, and they ooh and ah, oh, the beauty and the wonder of it all, and how great that is, and just amazing. And you, as a human being, are crowned with glory and majesty much more in comparison with the rest of creation. I find it interesting to look at the creation account back in Genesis chapter 1. And I want to turn there. This is interesting to see. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, verses 16 and 19 tell us that the sun and the moon was made on the fourth day. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. 
God placed him in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, there was morning, a fourth day. So on the fourth day, God created all this. All that we're discovering about the universe as pictures from the Hubble telescope, and now they got that new one, that James Webb telescope that's out there shooting back pictures just in the last few months. All that they're discovering, all the pictures they're seeing in God's creation, it's listed in verse 16 almost as an afterthought. Oh yeah, and he made all that stuff too. <laughs> it's almost the way it reads there in verse 16. And compare that with the account of the creation of the first man where God takes five verses to explain that. Verses 26 to 30. Won't take time to read it, but you can read it. Verses 26 to 30. God took five verses to explain about the creation of the first man. And then you go over to chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. He again gives further detail about how he created the first woman. There's much more attention given to the creation of men and women than to the creation of all the stars and galaxies that we're seeing as the pictures come in from James Webb Telescope. Yeah, he made them too. <laughs> Verse 16 says, Remember that, friend. You are so much greater creation of God and much more important to God than all the stars and galaxies and anything in outer space put together. You are valuable because of what God made you to be. Thirdly, you are of value because of your position in creation. Verses 6 through 8. You made him to rule over the works of your hands. And put him all things under his feet. Sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. And I guess this is just a logical outcome of what we've already seen. Because we are God's greatest creation... It follows that God would put us in charge of his creation. And that's what he did. You read the account of Genesis, that's exactly what happened. Where God put mankind in charge of his creation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. That's just the logical outcome of what we've already seen. But these verses tell us that God made a fantastic world and set man loose to develop and explore it and take care of it. Man's unbelievable mandate was to use his God-given talent and intellect to discover the resources of this earth and adapt all that he found to the development of God's creation in every sphere, to develop it and also to take care of it, to steward it, if you like. He has made us the ruler of his creation. He set us up to rule and be above all forms of animal life. Man has done a pretty good job of all that, except he hasn't learned to subdue himself. <laughs> we can't quite do that yet, but we have done that. We read the book of James where it says, man has tamed every beast of the wild. It's all been done. Maybe we haven't done a great job of stewarding. But this is a logic. Man and God is, because man is God's greatest creation, God has placed man in charge of his creation. So friend, not only are you the highest creation of God in the middle of a creation that's totally mind-boggling, of it all, you're the highest. But God has ordained you as a human to have dominion over all the rest of creation. 
So you are valuable not only because of what God made you to be, but because of your position in creation. And then fourthly and finally, you are of value because of what Christ did to redeem you. You are of value because of what Christ did to redeem you. We're moving beyond this psalm now. We're kind of uh, going to the next logical steps. Not in this psalm, but... But as you think about all that I have said, and all that the psalm has said, you have to realize, if you've been thinking, that something has gone horribly wrong <laughs> with creation. Uh, as I said, man has subdued all creation except himself. And that's the root of the problem. Man has become a contradiction. And if you're going to talk about what is man, you have to consider this contradiction as well. Someone has said that without man, this world would be infinitely better and infinitely worse. Better in that without man, there would be no war or divorce or heartache. There would be no pollution and no crime. There would be only clear streams and wide open horizons and virgin forests and natural development. Of their observation, I may question some of that a little bit, but <laughs> without man, there would be no... Sorry, but going on, but without man, this world would be worse in that there would be no art or music or literature. There would never be the joy of a newborn baby, a newborn baby's cry, or the thrill of a wedding, the glow of love. Minerals would lie hidden forever in the earth, oil untapped, coral reefs unknown. Diamonds would never be cut to reflect a thousand sparkles. There'd be no language or printing of books. There would be no cathedrals with soaring arches. No one to capture majestic sunsets on film. Man's a contradiction. And the reason, of course, is sin. Man fell into sin. Genesis 3 tells us that story. And that tainted everything. We as humans, we rebelled against our creator and we disobeyed. And thus there is an evil bent in all of mankind. And you're likely saying, well, that's not doing much for my feelings of low self-esteem. <laughs> but look what God did in response to our rebellion. I'm going to get into the New Testament now and let's look at some scriptures. John 3, verse 16. First one who can recite it gets a chocolate bar. me up afterward for chocolate Kathy and you have to share it with Joyce. <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 verse 8. Anybody recite that one? As I start saying it, you'll know it. <laughs> but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us and valued us so highly that he died to redeem us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. 
Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. As soon as I find it, I'll read it. <laughs> you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. Sorry, that's chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 9. Um, <laughs> but we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So this verse is the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 8, verse, verse 2, or whatever it was, verse, uh, verse 3. Uh, you, Psalm 8, verse 3, uh, verse 4. <laughs> verse 5, made him a little lower than God, made him a little lower than the angels. Here, we see him, Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He took on human form uh, so he could die. That he might taste death for everyone. He tasted death for all of us. Why? Down a few verses. 2 verse 14 and 15. Since, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also partook likewise of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He did it to deliver us from the power of evil, that being the devil, deliver us from sin. Then back to Romans chapter uh, 10 verse 9. Somebody's a better preacher than me, obviously. <laughs> Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God delivers all who confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts. And that, friend, gives you a value that is beyond comprehension. God, who is the creator of all and the owner of everything in this universe, gave everything he had, his son Jesus, to redeem you and save you from your evil bent and bring you back into fellowship with him. So that tells us that God values us very highly, that he would be willing to go to the extremes he did, Give his son to become human, to live and be tortured and killed. He'd be, go willing, be willing to go to those extremes in order to bring you back to himself. So friend, no matter how you feel about yourself, God, when he looked at you, he thought that you were worth the price of his son. You are a value, friend, because of what Jesus Christ did to redeem you. So then that obviously brings up this question, have you accepted Christ's offer? He paid so much because he wants you. He wants that fellowship with you. He wants that relationship with you. Have you accepted it? I trust all of you here have. I believe you have, but only you know your hearts. I don't. If you haven't, uh, you need to consider that. 
So therefore we see that there's an inherent value in mankind. There's an inherent value in you. Because of who God is. Because of what God made you to be. Because of your position in creation. And because of what Christ did to redeem you. So when those feelings of worthlessness start creeping up in you, remind yourself of these truths. You are of great value. You are worth a price beyond human comprehension. You are the highest creation of Almighty God, and He gave everything to save you. Everything He had to save you. You are extremely worthwhile and valuable. That's what God says. And who are you to argue with God? And God wants a personal relationship with you. Not just humanity in general, with you. Personally, you. And when you understand the greatness of God and you understand how you came into being and you accept Jesus' offer of salvation, then you can have that personal relationship with God where you can talk with Him on a personal level. You can discern Him speaking to you as you read your Bible and pray. But it's not important I think it's vital, it's necessary for this understanding, for you to have this understanding, for that to happen. And like I said, it begins with accepting his offer of salvation, accepting him as your savior, and inviting him into your heart to be your savior. Let's take our time in silence and just allow God to speak to us and plant in our minds these truths from this passage. Trials and temptations 
trouble anywhere. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Cr- 
crimson stain He washed it white as snow Thanks, you may be seated.